Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. A couple weeks ago, we started this out and we asked, where is your identity? And then last week we said, who do you follow? And today's question is sort of, um, should I, and this is maybe, you're not going to see this one coming, should I embrace foolishness? And that's where uh, we want to go today. That's what we want to answer. And so we're going to get there through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18. And we're going to start reading. The Apostle Paul writes this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So we're going to kind of go three places pretty quickly today. We're going to identify what is the message of the cross, because Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So what is this message of the cross? Second, we're going to say, what are the alternatives to the cross? And third, we're going to ask that question again, should Christians embrace foolishness? So Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We should then ask, okay, well, what is this message? He says, as he goes through that passage, you, you hear him essentially say, the wisdom of the world can't get there. The unlimited intelligence can't discover it. Philosophers can't deduce it. The law can't quantify it. And so what is that message? The message of the cross is this, that you and I were condemned, you and I were given the death penalty because we, in our sin and our transgressions, were unworthy of fellowship with the Father. And so we were destined for destruction, and the path to salvation— to freedom from the prison of our own iniquity and our sins, the path was only in Jesus' willingness to offer himself as a substitute for you and for me. He was the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. His death paid for our sins. Jesus took the death sentence for you and for me. And then, Scripture says he is buried as he's killed on our behalf as an innocent man. He is then buried in a borrowed tomb. And I love that he's buried in a borrowed tomb because you don't buy something you don't plan on using more than once, right? You rent it. You borrow it. Jesus is buried in a borrowed tomb because on the third day, Scripture tells us he rose with hundreds of witnesses who gave testimony to that resurrection. He conquered death forever, and we would say in dying he destroyed our death, and in rising he restores our life. And so, as you heard in a baptism, the perfect picture of what this this movement is, is we are buried with him in baptism. He took our sins to the grave, 
But in rising, he restores our life. He left the sins there. And so your sins and mine, your iniquity and mine, your transgressions, your falling short, your bad habit, the thing that would keep you from the perfection of heaven has been buried with Christ. And if we are in him, we are risen with him. We live resurrected lives, the scripture would tell us. And it says, if you believe in him, if you install him as king of your life, if he's the Lord of your life, that your life is in him. So in him, we are resurrected and we join an eternity of citizenship. So you and I, we start out as citizens of the world and, and the scripture would say that as we find ourselves in him and that moment, we exchange our citizenship and instead of being citizens of the world, we're now citizens of heaven. We get a new passport and you and I are identified in a whole new way. Jesus says that death covers you, his death covers you and his resurrection includes you that, to answer the question, is the message of the cross. So when Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, that's what he's saying. He's saying the things we just said, that's foolishness to those who don't get it. They look at it and they think this is ridiculous. Who thinks that by losing something you can find it? Like no one, that's not how you find stuff. You just search more. You just look harder. Where's the last place you left it? Jesus says you have to lose yourself to be found. You have to give up your life to find it. And the world says that's, that's not how life works. Die to live? Hmm. So this is interesting to me because I'm fascinated with something called lost person behavior, which is in, in search and rescue world. This is called, this is a book, lost person behavior. This is, I would say, this is kind of the Old Testament, this is, of the search and rescue Bible, which is how do people get lost? And when they get lost, what do they do? So when you're out in a national park and there's, you know, 50,000 acres and, and someone gets lost, they're hiking by themselves, they're on a journey, they're whatever, and they get lost, they do certain things. And experts have cataloged and, and kind of walked through this to say, what do people do when they find themselves lost in the woods? There's a second book called The Fundamentals of Man Tracking, which I would say is the New Testament of the Search and Rescue Bible, because that tells them how to get found, tells you how to find them. But lost person behavior is interesting because it says fundamentally most people who are lost out in the wilderness make two common mistakes. Two common mistakes, and most, when, when people make these mistakes, they're not just common, they're usually fatal. First one is this, lost people, once lost, continue to search for a safe path to being found. So lost people, you're lost in the woods, you're off the trail, you went to go get water, you can't find your way back, now where am I? And I don't know where I am. And lost people tend to keep looking for the way to salvation in that sense. Lost people tend to keep searching themselves. Maybe it's around this corner, maybe I should go there. Maybe if I retrace my steps, I'll go back to the river and then I'll figure it out. And lost people continue to move until they can find their way back. <coughs> can I save myself is the question they ask. Lost people do a second thing is they look for highest ground. Lost people almost always seek higher ground. It's, it's almost this instinct we have. We were camping in, uh, in Kentucky last week, two weeks ago, whatever it was. And I've asked, I, I'm always thinking about this stuff. I cannot help but think about this stuff. Somebody someday will write this book. And it'll be like a Jesus book, but with the same titles. And I'll be so impressed. But I'm going, if you were lost right now, if you got lost and separated, where would you go? And almost everybody's answer is, well, you look for highest ground. You just keep going up until you can get to a place where you can see, you survey the land, you find the way out, or you can see the search party, or you can, you know, you all think if you can just get high enough, I can see the path to salvation somewhere. The problem there is when you get super high uh, and, and the search party comes through on the main path, they can't see you. 
It's like saying if you were lost in downtown Bowling Green, and where would you go if you wanted to be found? Most of us would be like, I can't find my way home. I got to get up to the top of the courthouse tower, and then I can see the way home. The problem is when you get up to the top of the courthouse tower, people on the street looking for you cannot see you up there. And so the advice for uh, lost person behavior is very different than what is our instinct. Most people evade search parties through those two things. Those two common responses to being lost, most people evade the search party. And we've all, you know, you watch Dateline enough or you watch these things, you, you figure out people, people often on the search party will say, well, you can tell we just missed him. He was here again. He came through here. You saw her, but she wasn't there anymore. She just kept moving and, and we just kept missing them. It's like if you lose your keys at your house, how much harder is it to find your keys if your keys were moving all the time? You know, we just found keys that had been lost for four months, and we looked in every purse, and we looked in every wallet, and we looked in every drawer, and eventually my wife found them. And, and the only reason you can find them is because you eventually go, I've looked through every purse, I've looked through every coat pocket, I've looked through every drawer, I've looked through everything. The problem is lost people tend to keep looking for themselves long enough that you've already looked in that drawer, and now they're in the drawer. And you go, well, we missed them trying to find higher ground, they become impossible to find. The, the advice is if you can get to low ground and you can stay still, you have your best chance of being found. Because if somebody on the path might look down in the valley and see you, they might look to the river and find you. The world says save yourself, keep striving, gain elevation, keep climbing. Jesus says if you're lost, give up, get low, stop striving, and then be found. To summarize the foolishness that Paul lays out, we summarize it and we'd say in a world where every single culture on earth says beauty and money and strength run things. Go watch football this afternoon. Just watch the ads. Beauty and money and strength is what they're selling. There's an ad, a local ad that runs during, I don't know what it runs during, but we've seen it. And it's for some local speaker company. They do speakers and window tinting. And the music is playing and they're just showing speakers and prices. And there's like a 26-year-old woman dancing next to all the speakers, like real awkwardly, you know? And you're like, you're selling speakers. She doesn't come with the speakers, but you can definitely, what are they selling? Not speakers. You watch an advertisement, you start to see what the world says gets you ahead. It's what they're selling you. That's what our culture says wins, that power and wealth and force and strength it says that by having a prestigious degree and a good salary and a big house and a nice car and a comfy retirement plan, these are the things that will save you. These will, are the things that will get you through it. And then look at the foolishness that we believe in the world's eyes. We follow a Jewish peasant. We follow a Jewish peasant who led around a dozen or so misfits in the backwaters of an occupied territory, who was then executed at the age of 33 and left behind what? His life of occasional homelessness. His only possession, we're told, is a robe that the soldiers who arrested him stripped from him and gambled as they mocked him before they tortured and killed him. This Jewish peasant that we follow was without military might. He lacked political power. He was despised by the religious elite of the day. And this Jewish peasant was killed on a cross, utterly abandoned in his weakness. And he is the savior of the world. The world says power and money and strength win the day. 
The cross says victory comes from vulnerability and weakness and sacrifice beyond your wildest imagination. So yes, to the world, the cross is foolishness. Suffering powerless humiliation, sitting in a position of weakness and defeat. In Christ, we win by losing. In Christ, we live by dying. And that does not make sense anywhere else. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the cross is a judgment on the way the world thinks, on the values of the world, on the very epistemology of the world, the way the world knows and thinks. The cross judges the way of the world. The cross says, you think it's that way? No, it's this way. And none of that stuff works. And the cross is offensive to the world because the cross undermines every value statement that the world would make to you, every cultural statement the world makes to you. The cross goes, not that, not that, not that. No, sir, not going to happen. It's different. It offends the world that destroys the way of the world, and it offers the world a path to beauty and redemption, but it's only in Jesus, which then is offensive as well. How can it be so exclusive? That can't be it. There has to be another way. And so what we have is alternatives developed to the cross. Alternatives. Verse 22 said, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. So maybe, maybe everybody in here, you, you'll know which way you lean if you lean more Jews or more Greeks in this, but we all have our, our lean here. Jews demand signs. What is that? Miracles and religious works. Jews want, in the day, the, the holy people, the righteous people, the religious people, they wanted another hoop to jump through. Give me another rule to follow. Give me a, one more step on the ladder to climb. I can get there. Just give me more religion and I'll find my way. I'll work my way out. I'll do it myself. I can get there if you just give me more. Don't do this. Do do that. Buy this, not that. I can do it. And then I'm righteous, right? Works. Greeks want more wisdom. It says knowledge to apply. Greeks want to get to higher intellectual ground because if you can just learn a little more, maybe it'll save you. If I can just learn a little more, if I can just read another thing, do you have a podcast I could hear? Do you have any books I could read? Do you have any blogs that you subscribe to? Are there things that will help me get? If I just knew more, then I could get there. Salvation comes from knowledge, right? So the Jews are saying salvation comes from works. I can get there myself. And Greeks say salvation comes from knowledge. I can learn it myself. And Jesus keeps saying, it's just me. I get to hear a lot of people's uh, life struggles. It's one of the, the great privileges of my position, and it's a burden at the same time. And it's a burden not because I, I don't enjoy it. It's actually some of my favorite things to do is sit with people in the ashes of life, but the burden is I don't often have very good answers. So people will come to me, and they usually don't come to me until it's bad enough that they can't figure it out themselves, and they go, I guess we'll talk to him. And then they usually leave me pretty upset too because I don't really have answers for most things. Marriage struggles, substance abuse, addiction, profound problems with children, whatever the things are people walk in with, I usually feel a little foolish when it comes time for them to be like, so what's the, like, what do I do? My kids are out of control, or my marriage is on the rocks, or I can't kick this habit. What do I, I'm at wit's end, what do I do? My response is, is usually uh, foolishly, in some eyes, I would say, well, uh, maybe if there was more Jesus in this equation, we could get there. Like, what, have you thought about more Jesus? And they're like, but that doesn't make any sense. That's not real. But what do I do? Like, what can I learn? Where's the blog? Where's the book? Where's the thing? Where's the practice? Where's the hoop? Where's the jump? How can I do one more thing? Can, then I can, I, can, I can save myself out of this situation, right? And I always come back to maybe it's just Jesus, though. 
Maybe give your life in sacrifice. I tell you all the time, my, my most common marriage advice is lay down and die. A couple comes in and I say, you're going to have to lay down and die. That's the best advice I have. Give your life for the other. Offer truth that never wavers. Offer a life that's without, a love that's without fail. Be there every morning with new mercy. Be there every late night with fresh grace. That's the Jesus way. It's the Jesus way. Be so filled with Jesus that you overflow Jesus. Be so filled with grace that you're overflowing his grace. Be so attuned to the Father that you cannot help but live him out in the life of others. And that usually doesn't satisfy because it's not real tactical, is it? I mean, I think it is, but it's hard to live out because the days are busy and the life is dynamic. I said, well, my counselor said this, that, and the other, and, these are, and I'm like, those are smart things. They are credentialed. I am not. Well, do you, do you agree with my counselor? I was like, look, again, they are credentialed. I am not. My only filter is if it is in line with what Jesus is after, then let's go for it. And if it seems to run counter to Jesus, then maybe there's no life there. But I, my only advice is it's going to be more Jesus. Jews demand signs. Show me a sign, a religious work. Greeks look for wisdom. Give me that next book to read. Just maybe if I knew more, I could get there. When Jesus is the more that you need, Jesus is the miracle you're waiting for, Jesus is the movement you're looking for, Jesus is the sign and the wonder, Jesus is the hoop, he's done the work. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So you're saying I should just embrace this foolishness? Yes. Yes. Because to those who believe and are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel tells us we are restored and redeemed and forever secured by the cross and resurrection of Christ. The scandalous Jesus, the offensive Jesus, the world thinking he's ridiculous Jesus, they will know the power of salvation, of true freedom, of hope beyond despair when they find themselves in Jesus, and it will still be offensive to the outside world. Because the world still despairs, because the world looks at what Jesus says to be true and says that can't be it. The cross judges the world. And so the world looks at the cross as foolishness. The cross tells Greeks your knowledge won't save you. The cross tells Jews your religion won't save you. The cross tells the wealthy your money won't save you. The cross tells the strong your might won't save you. The cross tells liberals and conservatives your politics won't save you. The cross tells the genius that your intellect won't save you. The cross tells the beautiful your looks don't save you. The cross tells the famous your celebrity doesn't save you. The agnostic is told your ignorance won't save you. The atheist is told that your, your apathy won't save you. Your unwillingness won't save you. Jesus says, you're going to think me foolish for what I'm about to tell you. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Luke 9, 23, and Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here, there are some sitting in this room who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. May we be foolish enough to believe Jesus. 
May we be foolish enough to join in his joy, foolish enough to share in his salvation, foolish enough to chase him with everything we have, with all of our days, foolish enough to pursue the risen Christ, even when the world thinks we look pretty foolish doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you provide everything we need. God, it doesn't always make sense to us, and something in our flesh wars against it, and yet you've proven yourself true and faithful over and over. So, Father, as we submit ourselves to you, as we come back to you and say it's only through you, and it's only through your life, and it's only through your death and resurrection, God, would you honor our step of faithfulness by pulling us along, helping us up, God, giving us the hope in the problem we have, giving us something on the horizon beyond the despair of the day. God, remind us that it's in you that we find life. Thank you, Father, for your presence in this place, for your son, for salvation. We rest in it. We lay down. We get low. Find us here. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.